everybody. It's January 24th, 2021. Do you realize it's only 11 months till Christmas? Awesome! <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful day. Everything's fresh and clean. We're here to worship the Lord on the commemorate his resurrection from the dead. And Psalm 67. <clears throat> God be merciful to us and bless us. All in favor? Aye. Anybody need mercy today? Yeah. Anybody do this? Anybody does this perfectly? Thank God for His mercy that endures to all generations. We want God's blessing, do we not? Because He said we receive a blessing to be a blessing, and cause His face to shine upon you, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. We are definitely committed to bringing good news to the nations, are we not? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. All the people praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today only because of your mercy, only because of your blessing. Lord, we have come here today to ask you that your face would shine upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to make your way known to the earth. We want to participate in bringing your good news to the nations. We want to see people praise you, Lord, that used to curse you, and people that hated you would praise you. Lord, we pray for this year that the nations would be glad, that you would empower us and enable us to bring the good news and the song of joy to nations. We pray, Father, that as you guide us this year, this brand new year, Lord, that there be an increase of people who love you, praise you, and seek you. And so, God, we pray today. Yes, God, bless us today. Lord, we ask that you would open up the windows of heaven today in this place. Lord, that we would sense your presence here in this place. And, Lord, that we would be committed to making you known to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Wherever you are. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. that I face Stronger than the power of the grave Constant in the trial and the change One thing remains One thing remains You love Never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, 
never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love. And on and on and on and on it goes. Well, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I never ever have to be afraid. This one thing remains. This one thing. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. No, no, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your Never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love. And on and on. And on. Your love goes on and on. Your love just keeps coming. Your love goes on and on. In death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. My debt is paid. There's nothing that. Separate my heart from your great love. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. It's your love, your love. Your love is never failing. Your love that never ends. It's your love. Your love. Your love. Your love. And on and on. Your love goes on and on. Yes, your love goes on.
Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful day after the rain. You, you clear the air. So good to breathe. And thank you so much for the prayers, Lord. Thank you that we know you. Just bless this church, Lord. Bless the pastor as he comes forward, Lord, and he studies so hard. And thank you so much for this powerful church that does such great things, delivering water, delivering your word, Lord. We love you so much, and we pray this in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen. Worship team. God bless everyone today. Is this working for me? How's it back, back there? All right. <clears throat> we are going to continue working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We're making great headway. We are up to verse 3. I feel good about that. <laughs> Just torching this thing. I was on a quest to appreciate the five women in the genealogy. And last Sunday, if you were here or if you're listening uh, via the live stream, we made it down to Tamar, the mother of Perez. And you see, he's the great, 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 great grandfather of King David. So the family line comes from. Abraham all the way to David through the children of Tamar, which is a very interesting story in itself. And so I was really planning to get to Ruth. So next, next week, if anybody is, is up for it, you can read through the book of Ruth. It's one of the, the best stories in the Old Testament. It's like, where did this come from? You hear so much depravity in this, this genealogy of criminals that it's good to hear uh, the story of Ruth and Boaz. What an amazing guy. If I had another son, I'd name him Boaz. Wouldn't that be a great name? <laughs> so I got all wrapped up in the misanthropy of Judah. I want to look at him a little bit more. He's such a character, isn't he? Uh, we've learned that the genealogy of Jesus is far from perfect, and yet... The plan of God prevails. Aren't you glad about that? Or we wouldn't be here today. If the plan of God and the promises of God ever failed at any time in human history, none of us would be here today. We're here because of the grace and mercy of God that continues to all generations. The fact that Jesus Christ was born, died on the cross, paid the price for our sins so we can be born again of the Holy Spirit called out from darkness and walk in light. Here we are. It's all true. What do you say? So no matter how hard the devil works to derail the plan of God, the gates of hell shall what? Not prevail. Not prevail. This is in the Old Testament. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can prevail against the Lord. Do you know what no means? It means no. No uh, non-entity, nowhere, none, not, nor anything, nothing, neither, never. <laughs> never. Not going to happen. Aren't you glad about that? That should be a great encouragement. So we're going to pick up the story here in Judah, uh, Judah and look at him a little bit. We're going to look at the story of uh, Judah and Joseph, the, the tale of two brothers. Okay? And there can't be a greater contrast between Judah and Joseph are all, everybody familiar with the story, right? Good. So we're going to look here at uh, Genesis 38. 
Now, it says at that time Judah left his brothers. So what time is that? And we did a lot of research on this, have for a long time. It's really hard to pin down chronology from 4,000 years ago. So let's give it a rough time frame, okay? 1900 BC or so. Why not? It's a good time frame. <clears throat> but what we see here is that Judah left his brothers. Another verse says he turned aside from his family, left his family, left his brothers, and went down to a Canaanite city and hooked up with this guy, Hurrah, Hira. He's not Hero, he's Hira. All right? So here's the account. Let's backtrack a little bit and find out what happened before this time a little bit and perhaps some of the reasons why he left his brothers and what we can learn about Judah and some of his brothers that will help us today. All in favor? I had a good time. Hopefully you will. So <clears throat> we're familiar with the story that Abraham left Ur in Babylon, went up to Haran, and then he had the word of God to go to this place I'm going to show you, and you'll know when you get there, right? So he packed his whole family up and left, which has got to be heartbreaking for the rest of his family. He's leaving behind, but he's heard from God, so he leaves his family to do that. He comes all the way down with this huge troop of people. There's a great famine in the promised land. Goes to Egypt. Abraham has to lie to the Pharaoh about his wife. You know the whole story, right? Comes back and settles in the land of Canaan. So it's called Canaan land. And so this is pretty much, if you look at this, you would say, oh, no, isn't that Israel? Well, before it was Israel, they lived in this particular area named after one of the sons of Noah. So we picked the story up in the account of Jacob in Genesis 37. And we have a rare marker of an age for Joseph. He's 17 years old. And they're shepherds. He's tending the flock with his brothers. And he brought their father a bad report about them. It's probably a bad report because why? They're doing bad things. Dad, your boys are doing bad things. And is that going to endear you to them? Probably not. So Judah is probably three years older at this time, somewhere around there. My mom had four kids in four years. All right? It's possible. So as the story goes, his father loved Joseph so much because they say uh, Jacob's probably 80 or 85 years old this time, and uh, Joseph was born in his old age. Uh, do I have a scripture on that? Yeah, right there. Israel loved Joseph because he'd been born in his old age. He made him this, this beautiful robe. So he's got this fancy robe, and... What I want you to see the reaction of the brothers here is they hated him for it, okay? When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any others, uh, any of them, they hated him. They couldn't speak a kind word to him. And then Joseph has his dreams, as you know. He's got a couple of dreams. And he told his brothers his dreams. 
And they hated him all the more. So what do we see here? This cauldron of boiling hatred. All right? So do you intend to rule over us? You know, they're the big shots. He's the little brother, baby brother at the time. And they hated him all the more because of his dream. Now, check it out. He had another dream. And then he went and told his brothers this dream. Now, for me, I'm not telling them my second dream. You know what I'm saying? I got so much grief from the first one. I'll keep this to myself. I don't need to add fuel to the fire. These are not the best brothers in the world to be telling your intimate secrets to, okay? So, guys, listen, come on. I got another dream. I'm excited about it. God spoke to me. And what did that do? It just made them jealous. And jealousy is a murderous thing, okay? Jealousy is a very terrible thing. So then as the story goes on, his brothers were out shepherding somewhere, and his dad said to Joseph, hey, take them some snacks and some, some provisions, and we'll go find them. So now he's on this huge journey to find this little needle in the haystack in all of Canaan land, right? And he's wandering around trying to find them. So he finds them. They see him coming from a distance. How do they do that? Coat. He's got the big orange coat, right? <laughs> He's got the orange cone that he's wearing. And so instead of being happy to see him, what do they do? They plotted to kill him. Can you imagine that? Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Let's kill him. These are nice brothers, right? Good family reunion right here. Joseph's been traveling by himself. He's been on a long journey finally finds them, Keep, might even be happy to see them. And this is the reception that he gets. These are the patriarchs of Israel. They want to kill him. So we're going to kill him by throwing him into one of these big pits, you know, an old water cistern of some sort. And we'll tell this story. We're, make, we're going to concoct this story. We're going to collaborate on his murder, how they go about doing it. We'll say an animal killed him, and we'll see what comes of his dreams. Like I say, not the best, not the best brothers. So Reuben's number one brother tries to rescue him. This is honorable, right? Don't take his life. Just throw him in the pit. Don't shed his blood. Don't lay a hand on him. He had a plan to come back and rescue him. So that's, that's kind of a good thing, right? So Joseph came, they took his robe off and threw him down in the cistern, this big pit, this hole in the ground. Obviously, he's not going to be able to get out of it. He can't climb out of it. Don't know how deep it is. It's probably some old water well that collected water in the rain. And it's empty. There's no water in it. But if you've ever been to the desert and you found a big hole in the ground, you know there's things in it, right? What's down there? Every foul thing in the world that's seeking shelter and coolness uh, is living down in that empty cistern. This is torture, isn't it? Really, really sad. It's not a good story. And then, uh, so now they're eating. So he brought him all this food, and he's in the pit. What is he doing down there? Hey, guys, uh, this is not funny anymore. You know, get me out of here, right? 
and they're eating the food that he brought them and collaborating on probably how long it's going to take for him to die of starvation because we don't want to shed blood. That would be horrible. <laughs> so then he's, they see this big caravan coming that's heading on to Egypt, loaded down with all kinds of stuff. It's uh, traitors. And so Judah, who, who does this? Judah does this. He, he lead, he leader of the pack here. And he says, hey, if we kill them, there's no money in it for us. Let's monetize this. Let's do human trafficking. We'll sell our, our brother into slavery. Let's sell him. What did they get? I mean, 30 pieces of silver? Who knows? How, how much did they get from him? I mean, after all, he is our brother. <laughs> and they all agreed. Agreed. Take off the A, and you just got his brother and greed. And so they made this big story. He got his robe. They slaughtered the beast. They coated it in uh, this blood, and they took it back to their dad. So now they got to go back from where they're keeping the sheep all the way back with this bloody thing, this big story they told, collaborating the whole way, making sure everyone's got their story, story straight. And they go, hey, uh, is this your son's robe? <laughs> we found it out there somewhere. And then, of course, Jacob is, is torn apart by it, and he's just devastated. This is his son. He loves his son, as he should. And some ferocious animals eating him. He's torn to pieces. So he's, he's now mourning for his son for many days. And all his sons, the ten, right, come, and his daughter, come to comfort him, but refuse to be comforted. So, I mean, what kind of comforting words did his sons bring to him? Did they shed tears? Were they, were they heartbroken, comforting their dad? I mean, what was the story you would tell your dad about how sorry you are over the loss of your son, Joseph? Yeah, I'm sorry, Dad. It's terrible. <sighs> well, you know. So what sort of young men are the 12 sons of Jacob? They sound like a biker family. <laughs> you can make one of those Sons of Anarchy TV shows about these guys. And worse, they're the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, sometimes you think, you know, the Joseph's brothers are just a bunch of fun-loving rascalians merely indulging in typical big brother bad behavior. But really, they're torture, kidnap, bodily harm, attempted murder, lying, human trafficking. This is not the kind of people you want to hang with, all right? This is not the kind of family you want to get together with on Christmas. So as soon as they see their brother, came to visit, they wanted to kill him, they wanted to break his neck, threw him in the deep well, they deceive their father. They take off his, his, his beautiful coat. They sell him into slavery. So what does he got when he goes into slavery? Probably not much, right? So passing traders. Can you imagine? A bunch of camel jockeys taking you know, a little guy to a slave market and putting him on sale there. 
Could you imagine how cold-hearted they were listening to Joseph's pleas from the, from the pit, crying out to them? And then they decide they're, they're going to sell him. So they take him out of the pit, and they think, Joseph's probably thinking, okay, the prank's over, right? You, you've had your fun with me. You've toyed with me long enough. I'm ready to go home. And then they sell him into slavery, the caravan of merchants going down to Egypt. And then they nearly destroyed their poor father by telling the big fat lie. Then they had to keep this lie up for the rest of their lives, right? Every day, watching how sad their dad was. So then we get to this place here where Judah leaves his brothers, went down to the Canaanite city, hooked up with Herah, and there he met a daughter of a Canaanite man, and he married her and had three children. So this is, this is bad all the way around. There's nothing good about this, okay? One, he hooks up with this Canaanite guy, which is not going to help him in any, move in any positive spiritual direction. Okay, this is a bad relationship. Scripture says, he who walks with wise men becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. You will become who you hang with. If you hang around with fools, you will do foolish things. If you hang around good people, you will do good things. If you're following Christ, you need to sever some of your relationships with your dark past so you can follow in the footsteps of people who are going to help you hold you accountable to the things of God and move in a better direction. What do you say? That's just common sense. So he's going to go from this angry, bitter, hateful family hooking up with a, a Canaanite guy, which is not going to help him. Evildoers listen to wicked lips, and liars give heed to a mischievous tongue. So who are you listening to? Who are you hanging out with? You are going to become those people. True or false? Bad companions corrupt good behavior. So he goes down from Hebron. It's not a good map here, but you know this is the land of Canaan. Uh, let's see, I got it closer up here. So you can see where the Dead Sea is. Hebron is right there, and it goes down to the flatland, Abdullah, the city down there. Okay, so just kind of give you an idea a little bit of what that looks like. So he left his family after he conspired to kill his little brother and colluded to sell him into slavery and, de and to deceive their father. And as we said before, Joseph is 17, Judah's in his early 20s. He's a young guy. Sometimes we think, oh, he's like 45-year-old guys. These are young men, all right? Now, perhaps he left home. Why would he leave home? I mean, he's got no moral reason to stay home, you know what I'm saying? Uh, possibly because of the guilt that he had to live with every day, watching his father grieve over the loss of his son that they sold into slavery. So having to see that every day could wear on you, right? And then keeping your story straight with all the other brothers who are thugs, not much reason to stay home. He had to live with the hateful brothers, keep their secret for 20 years, fake shed tears of the loss of Joseph. So he went to live in the Canaanite city. 
made friends with a local Canaanite, married a Canaanite woman. Now, Canaanites were idol worshipers. Now, as far as I can tell, there's no indication at this time that Judah had any personal faith in Yahweh, in Jacob's God, all right? There's no indication whatsoever that any decision that he made was based upon his faith in God. And you'll notice that he's not mentioned in the Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of, Hall of Fame. Then he married Tamar, a Canaanite woman, and that was usually marriages are arranged by your, 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 your father, but in this incident it was arranged by his BFF, right? He raw, not the hero. And, of course, to intermarry with the Canaanites was against Israelite uh, traditions and later forbidden by the law of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Now, Tamar was a Canaanite, idol-worshipping polytheist. There's no indication anywhere that Tamar was a believer. All right? And the Canaanites uh, lived in the land of Palestine, Many of these people were descendants of Canaan, the fourth son of Ham's fourth son, who is one of the sons of Noah. So they came and inhabited this. They, they were already a great nation. Uh, let's see. So Canaan, the son of Ham, the son of Noah, he's the father of all these different people groups. And they're scattered all along the borders of Canaan, from Gaza in the south, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, all the way up. Jerusalem's a part of this, this organization. So this, this land is occupied by people who are pretty much related back far enough, right? And they were known to be the most morally depraved, bloodthirsty people on the earth. And if you're on my email list, I've sent you this text, which you can have, and you can look those scriptures up if you want to. Their depravity, their idolatry is mentioned all throughout scripture. Now, mostly they're farmers living in the lowlands. It's a fertile part of the country. And the Canaanites attributed the fertility of their land to the god Baal. He's a fertility god. All right? So they worship Baal. He's the god of fertility. They built temples. They had a number of sites. They participated in lewd, immoral acts. They had sacred prostitutes as a depraved form of worship. Let's get him off of there. So he is portrayed as seated on the throne, possibly the king or lord of all the gods. They appeased him with many offerings, animals, sheep, and bulls. And the Canaanite gods also demanded human sacrifice, and more specifically, the sacrifice of children. Now, God says this in Deuteronomy. He says, when you come into the nation, now, they have yet to occupy the promised land. We know the story. Uh, Joseph was sold into Egypt. He saved their entire family. They all moved to Egypt. They lived there for 400 years. Now they're coming back to Canaan land. God, and the Lord says, when God goes ahead of you and drives them out, he says, don't follow their customs, right? Cultural customs, whatever the, whatever the culture is, whatever the culture accepts doesn't mean God accepts that, Okay? Don't do what the culture does. 
They're worshiping their gods. They even burn their sons and daughters as sacrifices to their gods. The Bible is clear that child sacrifice was a regular feature of Canaanite religion. All right? So Ahaz, one of the kings of Jerusalem, 20 years old, again, a young man, 20, nothing wrong with being 20, didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, after the separation between the two kingdoms in the south and the ten kingdoms in the north, we talked about the fact that none of the kings in the north were any good. All the, the ten kingdoms in the north were idol worshipers. So it's hard for me to imagine that the Jews were actually monotheists when the majority of them were polytheists. Are you with me? So they usually label Judaism as a monotheistic religion. I'm trying to figure out where is that? <laughs> So even in Jerusalem, they worshipped many gods, and he actually made images of the Baals, burnt sacrifices in the Valley of Hinnom, sacrificed his own sons in the fire, uh, burned incense in the high places, check this, on hilltops and every spreading tree. You think that's going to make God happy? Not at all. This guy here, human sacrifice. Do you think this demon has ceased requiring human sacrifice? No, not at all. I don't know where my verse is. Let me see. I'll leave that there. But in Jeremiah 19, I'll just read it to you. Now, in the history, and we'll get to that as we go through this genealogy, because it's all about history and what happens, but there's a, there's a thing called the Babylonian exile. All right? When did that happen? 586 B.C. After the split under... Solomon's son, the kingdom split apart. There was a civil war, ten kingdoms in the north are called Israel, the two kingdoms in the south, Judah and Benjamin. Okay? These were absorbed, defeated, idolatrous, evicted from the land as God promised in the covenant, 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. We don't know what happened to them. Where'd they go? These last two little kingdoms are the ones that we're specifically dealing with from that point on in Old Testament history. But they continued to be idolatrous, and God sent them prophet after prophet to bring them back. And eventually he says, you know what? I've had enough with you. You're going to go into exile in Babylon. Okay? Those are key features of Old Testament. Anybody's going to study in Old Testament history one. All right? So here's what God says. He says, Israel has forsaken me and turned this valley into a place of wickedness. They burn incense to foreign gods, idols, never before acknowledged by this generation or by their ancestors or by the kings of Judah. And they filled this place with the blood of innocent children. They built pagan shrines to Baal and they burned their sons as sacrifices to Baal. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. So the continued idolatry, the continued worship of Baal, persisted even in the southern kingdom. And a part of the reason they were evicted was because of this. They refused to obey God. All right? So this Baal guy came and watched him. He's the, as we said, he's the prince and lord of the earth. 
And it appears now that when Judah left home to go live in a Canaanite city, he also left behind his father's religion. All right? Now, this lapse into paganism. It wasn't a far leap for him to go, was it? But this lapse into paganism often happens to kids raised in good and godly homes. When they go away to college, what are the statistics? How many young kids do you know raised in a godly home, even homeschool, who don't follow Jesus today? Who don't do it? They might, they maybe go to church occasionally, but they don't serve Jesus in any meaningful manner. The list is long. What do you say? It happens all the time. Judah left his home. Judah left his family. Judah left his faith. Judah left his religion. He's absorbed into a Canaanite culture. Marries a Canaanite woman from a Canaanite guy. These are idol worshiping, baby sacrificing. Polytheus. Okay? Not a good picture for the line of the tribe. Now, he's destined to be the family line chosen by God as the ancestor of David and the coming Messiah. Now, we read about his, his shameful involvement with the Canaanites last week, and it just reveals the depth of immorality and idolatry that he had fallen into. Now, we remember the story, three sons, two of them died because they married Tamar, and in those days they had this law that if a son died, his wife would marry the next son until they actually had a child for the firstborn. Okay? We're familiar with that. Never write marriage. So, Judah's best friend. Now, here's his best friend. He's on his way to sheep shearing, meets this temple prostitute along the way, okay? Now, how good of a friend is this when he gives you no word of caution and no accountability and says, wait, maybe you should not do that, right? But in that culture, this was completely acceptable to do that, to pick up on prostitutes sitting out in front of the temple and to worship your Baal god by having sex with her, okay? So one... This relationship that he had with Haral is not a good relationship. He's hanging around with the wrong people. Haral is not going to caution him, hold him accountable, question his actions in any way, shape, or form. Okay, if you don't have friends that will hold you accountable to the word of God, those are not good friends for you. Are you with me? So the way that this whole transaction happened in Scripture just seemed way too easy to me, okay? It seemed like this was a habit, or he had done this before. It didn't seem like this was the first time, all right? Now, Scripture says this, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. So she's veiled up. That's all you can see, all right? But that's all it takes. Men don't need much, right? He says, for a harlot can be hired for a loaf of bread, but an adulteress stalks a man's very life. So in the man's mind, he's going, this is only a piece of bread. For, for, for Judah, he's thinking, this is going to cost me a goat, right? But Scripture says, no. 
It will cost you your life. All right? This is a life-changing decision that he made. And this is further destruction and depravity in his life that's going to have all kinds of ramifications that God will redeem, thank God. All right? But it's going to cause trauma in his life. Now, just because this is acceptable in that culture doesn't mean it's acceptable to God. This is where it's important for us as people carved out from darkness to walk in light that we are mindful of God's word and use it to make our decisions. We hang with better people. You go with people that are going to help you and are doing the right thing and are going to hold you accountable because this is serious business we're involved in. This is not frivolous. We're walking with the God, the creator of all universe. He's selected us to be ambassadors so that we can be more like Joseph, right? You got to appreciate Joseph, who's now been sold into slavery, and he's trying to make the best of a bad thing over there, isn't he? And so he gets hooked up with, with Potiphar, and he's now the master of, of this guy, this Egyptian house. And I was reading it uh, recently, but he's a, he says he's handsome. He's a handsome guy in Genesis 39. And it came to pass, verse 7, that the master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, hey, lie with me. But he refused her. So here, here's a guy in a situation where he's being propositioned by the guy's wife, and he refused her. And he says, look it, my master doesn't know anything. I handle everything in this house. He's committed everything to me. There's no one greater in the house than I am. He hasn't kept anything back from me. Why would I do this great wickedness and sin against God? All right? Don't you love that? Who is this guy? Now, this is what's interesting. I thought maybe this is a one-time deal, but here it says in verse 10, So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her, or be with her. Isn't that amazing? So this is the way it is. Temptation is relentless, isn't it? Day by day by day seeks to wear you down. Joseph is strong. What I like about Joseph is not only does, do, not only do we see his faith, but we hear his faith. Okay? He's talking God. Are you with me? This might be okay with you. Mike, we might be able to get away with this, but it's not acceptable to God. Are you with me? So this is a guy that has genuine faith, and that faith steers his course, and that faith gives him the strength to every day in the relentless face of temptation to refuse and to stand tall. So when it all backfires on him, she steals his coat. She accuses him of rape. He's thrown in jail. He's suffering for righteousness. Are you with me? He's not there for any legitimate reason. And he has the favor of God. That's what you want. No matter what you think is happening in your life that doesn't look like your plan for you, if God is with you, you have the favor of God. And if you're there, regardless of how you got there, right, right or wrong, in that chaos, Christ is there with us. Hallelujah. So... Even though in Joseph's mind, I can't imagine that he's thinking, oh, this is God's plan for me, right? Who would think that? It still is God at work. God is working 
even in that. So we want to see the contrast between Joseph and Judah. And we want to see his faith at work. And we also hear his God talk. He's actually talking God. Isn't that awesome? You don't ever hear that from, from Judah. So as a principle, to protect yourself, excuse me, as a man, as a pastor, is our rule never to be alone with a woman that wasn't your wife. What good could come of that? Nothing. Never counsel a woman alone. And for our principle, it was like never counsel a woman at all. If you want to counsel a woman, get a godly woman to counsel a woman. You have to hold yourself accountable. You have to have people that will hold you accountable. And you have to guard and protect yourself. What do you say? I mean, there's tremendous women that I've known in my life, godly women. But I'm not going to let them drive me home by myself. Okay? I'm not going to do that. Just because I need to, we need to be blameless before God. We, we can't let your good be evil spoken of. I'll find someone else to give me a ride home. Because we, uh, a lot of times, you know, at church and someone could give you a ride home. It's like, mm, no, I better not. Just because there's too much of this stuff going on in the church today. What do you say? Amen. How many pastors have stopped and done that? Huh? Come on. The debris is the, the floatsome and jetsome of this scenario repeated over and over and over again. Yeah, outside the church, inside. Prostitution is still a problem. Sexual immorality is still a problem. Still a problem. So Judah disgraced himself even further. Had two children by his daughter-in-law, Tamar. He thought she's just a Canaanite temple prostitute. Right? So, what's in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. It doesn't. It doesn't, does it? It's not. And then she's found to be pregnant, and he wants to burn her alive for prostitution. So he knows it's wrong. Right? It's so wrong. How could she do that? And then, of course, she reveals his stuff that shows that he's the father of the twins that she conceived. And one of these kids is a great-great-great-grandfather six times in the lineage of King David. So now that we're so concerned about someone else's sins, right? What about ours? <laughs> right? All the sin and fall short of the glory of God. What do you say? Is it, does God have grace for Judah? I hope so. So when you look at this genealogy of Jesus, it's Joe human, right? It's normal, unfortunately. It's the genealogy of anthropology, of humankind. Everybody's genealogy is the same. And you're a part of your own genealogy. You got your own story, don't you? So it comes no surprise that the genealogy of Jesus is, is full of horrible people. But what's the good news? The good news is that people can change for good. What do you say? We're all good news here. Are we not? There wasn't anything that Judah did as a young man that I didn't do. I was a young man of 20 years old. I worshipped idols. 
what, Ju uh, what Judah did was anything that a hippie would do. So you think about the sins of people 3,000 years ago. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? What's different? Do people still hate today? Murder, steal, lie. Is there still human trafficking, slavery, sexual perversion? Only of every kind. Is there still greed, abuse, anger, corruption? Is there any corruption? Fraud? Is there any fraud lately? It's the same old, same old. So would you want someone to follow you around when you're 20 years old and write down your worst decisions for all the world to see? Would you want that? Anybody? I don't want someone to follow me around with a video yesterday. I mean, could you imagine having your worst decisions written down for all the world to see? What a bummer. I want mine under the blood. I want mine forgiven, forgotten, right? I don't. Now, it seems like later on in life that Judah developed a conscience, sacrificially offered his own life in exchange for the freedom of his baby brother, Benjamin. When, when they finally went to Joseph because of the famine, they had their multiple visits, and he was going to reveal who he was to them, which had to blow their minds, right? It just had to freak them out completely. And then he did this whole trick where he was going to keep Benjamin as a slave, and then Judah finally steps up and says, no, I'll kill my dad. Take me instead. So I go, okay, there's something happened to this guy. Now he's stepping up and, you know, being the leader of the family and, and offering himself to be a slave of Joseph rather than poor little Benjamin. After all the grief... He's already seen his dad go through. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to see him go through that again. So in the end, you know, Judah steps up and, oh, I didn't change it. Bummer. And all the dreams of Joseph come to pass, but what a hard route to take. Are you with me? To get those dreams to pass. Unbelievable. And that's because God has to deal with human volition, doesn't he? God has to deal with frailties and weaknesses. God knows them all. So he's incorporated them into his plan. So it's just going to take him a little bit longer than it would if he, he were a puppet. So we all have a story of our lives before Christ, right? Just like these guys. And our genealogy of crime will look the same, as I said. And if your life was recorded and one day we all got to watch it, you know, would you live your life differently? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want my video played. Do you? No. Nah. Anybody want your video played? Not me. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not there. Look at, look at what Paul says. He says, you are just like the rest of the world one time, right? So we can look at this and go, yeah, Judah's a bad guy. Those guys are terrible. But we're all dead. We're all sinners because of our disobedience to God. You used to live in sin. Anybody didn't? <laughs> Just like the rest of the world, bang the devil, spirit at work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires, inclinations of our sarks, our dark id, our inner idiot. By our very nature, we're subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. 
You know, so it's one thing for us to go through and point the finger at these guys, but another thing to realize that we're in the same boat, right? We all need the saving power of Jesus Christ. And we're grateful to know that even in this genealogy, God's superintending grace is prevailing over all of that. Over all the chaos, there's Christ. Over all the confusion, there's Christ. All the genealogy, there's Christ. God has fulfilled his promise, has he not? Because God is rich in mercy. Thank God. He loved us so much. Even though we were dead because of sin, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it's by God's grace that you have been saved. Not because of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved you by grace when you believed. It's a gift. None of us should be able to boast. It's not a reward for doing good things. Sometimes you witness to people and they go, oh, you think you're holier than me. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm just telling you the good thing about the grace of God to forgive sins. <laughs> right? <clears throat> the end result of this is that God has called us out of darkness to do good works. He's called us from Judah to Joseph to be that person in face of temptation and in living in a different culture. He's in a totally different culture. He's probably speaking hieroglyphics. Right? How, how would you speak that? How could you speak that little hieroglyphs? So we have a new story. We are God's workmanship to do good work as God prepared in advance for us to do. So you should have a new story. Right? You should have a before and after. And we should have a story that we are creating of good works that God is at work in us to get done through us. So in the chaos and confusion, there still is a work to do, all right? And we can get lost in the confusion, we can get lost in the chaos, or we keep Christ in the crisis. Are you with me? And we're going to keep moving forward through this year we're going to keep knowing that God superintends all the so-called trouble, madness, chaos, confusion that we see right now. And we're going to be like Joseph, stand strong in the face of temptation, and continue to be a blessing. Right? All in favor? Let's pray, shall we? Pray together. Pray for yourself. Father, we just come before you right now. We see the lessons from the past. We see how you deal with, with humans. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we, won't, we don't want to always have to take advantage of that. We'd like to just do the right thing and, and do the good works that you've prepared for us to do uh, with as little damage as possible. But Lord, we're grateful that no matter what, your grace is sufficient. And there were sin abounds, grace does more abound. We're grateful for your mercy. And we just pray, Lord, as we, as we begin a year and begin moving forward and make plans and that we would include you in all of our plans and that we would plan good things that bring a blessing, not only 
locally, Lord, but also to the nations. And we want to be that blessing. We want to receive the blessing that you promised Abraham, and we want to be that blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Tale of two brothers. Let's stand, shall we? Stop 
never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even I don't see. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. Never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. 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 That is who you are, Lord. Left my fear by the side of the road Hear you speak, won't let go Fall to my knees as I lift my hands to pray Got every reason to be here again Father's love draws me in All my eyes want to see is a glimpse of you All I need is you Spirit calls my heart to sing Drawn to the voice of my Savior once again Where would my soul be without your Son? He gave his life to save the earth Rest in the thought that you're watching over me All I need is you
Father God, thank you so much for the lesson today, Lord. Let's be more like Joseph, Lord. And as we stumble and stuff, let's be like Judah, where he, his heart was changed, Lord. Thank you that when you walked into our lives, Lord, and we let you in finally, that we did know the truth, and you changed us right there. Wham! Born again, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the love you and your grace and your mercy and your healing, Lord. Thank you for healing my granddaughter. Thank you for the prayers of this church. Lord, you are powerful, Lord. We love you so much. We love the lessons here. We love what this great church does, Lord. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for his wife who does so much. Thank you for Bobby D. Lord, there's so many good examples here. Lord, we love this church. Thank you so much. We love you and we pray this in your precious son, Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. Go marching in the army of the Lord. I pledge my oath to serve Him, hold Him high above all things. I owe a debt of love to Him. He gives me everything. I want to be a blessing in His eyes. No other God who died to save our lives. I love you, Lord Jesus. 
Yes, I love you, Lord Jesus. I go marching in the army of the Lord. Put on my armor, and his word is my sword. Death and sin he has defeated. Chains we've been set free. I owe my life and love to Him. Jesus brought the victory. I want to be a blessing in His eyes. There is no other God who died to save our lives. I love Him. Lord Jesus, I love you, Lord Jesus, yes, I love you, Lord Jesus, I love you, Lord Jesus. We're filling in. <laughs> I know. Good job. <laughs> right on, Clarence. Thanks, man. Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Want to do one more, Clarence? Yeah. This one I kind of messed up the first.